0: Hello and welcome to FuturePod. I'm Peter Haywood. FuturePod gathers voices from the international field of futures and foresight. Through a series of interviews, the founders of the field and the emerging leaders share their stories, tools and experiences. Please visit futurepod.org for further information about this podcast series. As it's over two years since we launched FuturePod, we thought it would be interesting to check in with our previous guests, and see how their work and thinking may have changed since we last spoke to them. So, we have created a new FuturePod series called The Re-Interviews. Today, we are re-interviewing Kieran Murrahy. We originally interviewed Kieran in podcast 19, called Investing in Work as a Learning Lab. In that podcast, Kieran explains how he and his colleagues at Foresight Lane support a meme shift from machine operation to ecosystem models. In the groups they work with, the podcast exemplifies the deep care and regard that Karen brings to his craft. We also were joined by Karen for a chat in 2020 during our first COVID lockdown with Podcast 46, when he reiterated the importance of the stories we choose to describe ourselves and our circumstances. Welcome back to Future Pod, Karen. Thanks, Peter. It's a real privilege to be here. So, Karen, what new things have you learned since we last spoke, and what are you working on now?
1: Yeah, well, you had me worried when I saw that question this morning, Peter, because it started reflecting on, it feels like I'm not sure I've learnt a hell of a lot, but it did make me think about maybe just three things that I've observed in the last couple of years. And I, if, if I start on personal front, married, three young kids, my wife works, and, you know, clearly, obviously, with COVID, we've been living in Victoria, so we've had a lot of restrictions and disruptions to our normal way of living over the last 18 months or so yeah and i know that's been really tricky for for a lot of people but uh, you know at a at a family level i think the thing that i've observed or learnt there is just actually there's been an enormous amount of joy and richness available in the simplification yeah and the streamlining of life less moving parts so i think we've really enjoyed our time together as a a family uh, in a new way, and so that's had you know a lot of reminders around you know certain things we might want to carry forward both at a practice level, but also in terms of the, the sort of relationships <laughs> we're, we're cultivating as a family. So that on that personal front, that's been something that, as I look back, you know, it feels like a real gift of the last eighteen months. As I say, I know that's not everyone's experience, but that's you know we've been fortunate enough to make that ours. I think at the, if I think about the global level, I'm probably feeling less certain and confident around what's going on. You know, the fragility feels like it's on a lot of fronts at the moment and moving pretty quickly. And I know we were talking about certainty before we sort of started the call, Peter, and the, the thing that Futures has given me to some degree is to feel somewhat comfortable, if not entirely comfortable, you know, knowing that I'm not wise enough to to know whether the sort of disruptions that we're going through uh, are leading us to a, a more beautiful future or, you know, into further catastrophes and calamities. So, you know, that's, I, I feel less certain than I might have been when we when we had that call 18 months, two years ago, or, or however long it was ago. The, the thing, though, that I'm also probably just observing, particularly in the last, I think, three to four months, is, maybe just a bit of hope too around the unsticking that's happening as a result of particularly, you know, COVID conditions and what that's throwing at everyone and that a lot of things that felt stuck and conventions that were in place across the different places we work, starting to see more people bounce into a a relationship to the context they're in where they're building, I guess, a capacity to be less daunted or less disrupted as the the context shifts and more of a willingness to kind of go, well, what's this enabling? What's this allowing? Mm. You know, on a really practical level, that might be we're doing a lot of work with schools at the moment, whereas 12 months ago, no disregard for schools, you know, really tricky spaces to work. But the minute a disruption came, that was throwing everything. Everything got too hard really quickly, whereas now this latest round of disruptions as we're talking to schools, more and more educators have just sort of got that mindset of, well, yeah, sure, things are moving around us, but we still have perhaps more of a responsibility to make sure our young people and our students are getting access to great opportunities. So, the ability to just move and shift as the context moves around, I think that's clearly a key capability you learn in the future space, and it's just been interesting to see that get diffused more broadly, almost in response to the context we've been facing.
0: Part of what I hear you talking about, if I put it into my words, Karen, is to some extent as adults, we tend to live in a very self-constructed delusion of how the world is and what we're in it. And those delusions are comforting until they effectively, well, I think what you call unsticking, I would simply say the delusions fall away and people actually face up to the reality of their situation. Yeah. And it's interesting with kids because kids seem resilient, but maybe kids just haven't actually learnt the delusions yet.
1: Yeah. I think that's a really interesting observation because we're essentially the work that I'm now involved in is left a lot of the consultancy behind and have and now working in Crazy Ideas College and trying to build that up into a, an entity that can be both viable but also impactful. Hmm. And so clearly that effort is all around, if I used a futures term like participatory futures, really. It's like creating a community where people can come together and build the future they want, whether it's for themselves or their community or the world at large. But we start with young people and not because we think we want to put all the onus for change and big change on young people, but Mm. for a couple of reasons. One is we think well, they, have, they deserve a right, <laughs> you know, to be shaping the future that they'll inherit and future generations will inherit. And that we need to give them the skills, the capacities, the opportunities, the connections, the confidence to feel as though they can actually shape the world around them. But we also know, I think to your point, and this is what strikes us all the time, it's very different going with working with young people around change than when we do it in the consultancy space because some of that way of getting adults to think differently is to flip the assumptions on the head in a sense, to make the delusions visible (laughs) in an organisational context and go, if that's the rule, if that's a delusion, and you change that, if you flipped it, what emerges from that? What are the opportunities? What are the ideas? Yeah. But when we go and work with young people, we can't actually do that because the delusions, you can't get to a point where you're actually making them evident. But I think we know a few things, or our experience is that they're passionate about the possible. They're really good pollinators and connectors. Another thing that I think, young people probably my suspicion is they're going to have an important role to play is in engaging them in the change story we can we're also able to disarm polarized debates to a degree so to bring collaborations across different parts of our communities and societies that may not naturally work together but almost the young people become the orbit or the satellite around which they're able to orbit orbit together but also young people are really action oriented. And and there is a degree of, if you can provide the space for it, again, you've got to work at it like you do with adults to take that sort of voice off the shoulder that says, oh, no, we can't do that. Or I don't want to say that. That's silly. My peers will, you know, think I'm silly, but they can actually think in outrageous ways. They've got that free capacity to think in free range ways. So we think not only do they have a right and we have a responsibility to make sure we give them the skills capacities, but I think we're all going to benefit if we actually find a way to engage young people in substantial, meaningful ways around trying to think about what's the future we want to build.
0: Yeah, i just came off an interview, hopefully it'll pop out shortly in Future Pod with Tamas Gaspar, um, who's in Hungary. Right. And Tamas has got an unusual story in that he, as an economist, did a PhD, ran a futures program, and then he took, I think a couple of years parental leave to raise his youngest daughter and then he went back and retrained as a primary school teacher.
1: Right. Yeah. So
0: he's gone almost backwards if you yeah. want to use that kind of term in terms of career. And the point that that you know that Tamas talks about is that both young people can grasp future concepts in their own unique way. Yeah. But secondly, he as an adult learns for far more off them in how to face and respond to uncertainty right. and he actually empowers them to do it.
1: Yeah, and that's really interesting. Yeah, I think there's something about the beauty of the simplicity with which you've got to work with young people too that in a sense encourages us out of some of the abstract futures work and really having to ground it. Like we use head, hearts and hands a lot Yeah, as an orienting piece. So it, it forces us into engaging them very much around the heart, the things they care about, firstly, is a starting point. So if we're doing a social innovators program with them, it's around the issues they care about. But then, then we work with the hands, essentially, you know, build ideas, build prototypes, b- build experiments, partner with people in community, get these to life. So I think the other observation, and I'm not sure it fully kind of responds back to your leading around the uncertainty piece, but it's encouraging us. to think about future building, less around understanding the concepts and the possibilities and really trying to get, you know, a coherent vision, but trusting the hearts and the hands of young people and then engaging other people at that hearts and hands level. Mm. And maybe that's a way of facing into the uncertainty as well is rather than being really clear on where this all ends for us but also for young people if they care about an issue like Care for the environment, or it might be animals, or it might be how education is done, or it might be around the mental health and well-being. Is trusting, in a sense, just starting where you can, having an idea, understanding that will change over time. I know you think it talk a lot about pathways thinking, but we think about it like pathways doing, Peter, which is maybe a responding to that uncertainty of saying you don't know where you're going to end up and you don't know how you're going to get there, but let's get good at. (laughs) Starting somewhere and being able to build that up, up over time, and trusting that we'll end up somewhere useful, if we you know use our hearts, if we use our hands, and we start to bring our heads in as well to do it in skillful ways, maybe that's a part of the approach—is being less certain about where it's heading and just more more leaning into those hearts and the hands.
0: Mm. I mean, I'm not a parent. You are. I would imagine that as parents, you try to encourage your children to. Have a go and learn as you as you do. Don't sort of do the sort of passive learning, but actually do the learning through the doing. And that's interesting that we ask that of children, yeah. if we do, to actually just have a go and if it didn't work, have a go again, learn something and repeat and rinse and repeat and rinse and repeat. And it would be interesting if we expect that of children, but we don't actually mirror that as our expectation for ourselves.
1: Our take on that at Crazy Ideas College, Peter, is exactly right because – Part of what we see, so the innovation work that I've done through Foresight Lane, you know, more consultancy spaces, doing innovation labs, is that it's still the key, it's the key skill that's missing. (laughs) So in all those spaces like health, education, government and the providers know they're going to need new models. They can't keep churning out what they want, you know, what business as usual and expecting that we'll meet the demands of the environment that we're in. But people just... yeah people in those environments find it really hard to do what you just said Hmm. learn as we're doing you know always want to have the end in mind have a have a pilot project that might require three hundred thousand dollars worth of funding or five hundred thousand dollars worth of funding which means you've got to have your return on investment really clearly marked out as opposed to learning to start much smaller with what we call smart start experiments and going, what you want to do is build your proof of concepts up so that we know what the things we should be investing in are. But learning to actually start smaller and to do and to trust that process, we know is really hard in those organizational settings and is really hard for adults because all the systems are saying, tell us what the return on investment will be. And, you know, at the same time, that acceptance of seeing that actually you might this may not go as you expect and you might actually have to stop the initiative because it may not actually be leading you anywhere useful or productive, is something that adults are finding really hard and and part of, if you like, the logic of why we're also working with young people is we think it starts to make it okay, so all of our, when we go and do a program in community, when we get to experiment stage, young people are partnering with community organisations, with businesses, with adults. we see this as sort of teaching the capacities, authorizing, making it okay, if you like, because we're now working with young people to take that approach. So we actually think it's a different entry point for adults to have that same experience that you were talking about.
0: I wonder if if that notion of adults becoming more comfortable with experimenting is one of those things that you say is is possibly being shaken and maybe you're slipping away. Through the whole sort of COVID uncertainty for the last two years,
1: so you think it might be slipping away? Or-
0: I mean, I think I think there's a wish for certainty to return. Yeah, I don't think I don't think the wishful side's gone away. Yeah, but the reality is that you know when I spoke to you a year ago as to where we thought we would be, we aren't there. We're somewhere else now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if we thought this was going to be a momentary disruption. And I think we might have thought that back in in early 2020. Towards the end of the next year, we should be getting back to something like normal again. Yeah. And here we are, over two years into it, we're further from normal than we used to be. Yeah. And I wonder whether in that, if you like, escalating uncertainty, adults particularly are having to become comfortable with acting without necessarily knowing what will happen.
1: I hope that's right (laughs) and my suspicion is it is like that you know at the outset when I was talking about what we're seeing with schools that's very much what we're seeing now with educators who if the first design of how you're going to roll something out got disrupted well that was the end of the story whereas now they're able to go all right the intent needs to say the same what we now want to do with the young people needs to say the same the sort of quality experience we want to give them what they want to what they're going to learn needs to say the same. The fact they're going to collaborate with community needs to say the same. But how we get there is going to be different than what we imagined mm. before this latest disruption came in. So I think, you know, that, as I say, seeing lots of signs of that, also seeing people who are just tired, <laughs> you know, and want it to go back to where it was. And again, look, we'll just deal with everything when, you know, things return to normal. You know, our job is not is probably to work with the early adopters anyway, what I think we're seeing is that more and more early adopters are starting to realise that this is opening up new ways of doing things and that they can be far more flexible in terms of the how piece. How we thought we would get somewhere has shifted. That's okay. <laughs> you know, we'll just change it around. So, you know, I hope you're right. I suspect you are, and a lot's riding probably <laughs> on whether you are right or not because, you know, it is, it is going to be a key skill we're going to need as we face in the more and more disruptions over the coming years.
0: Yeah, to me there's a chorus of organisations that will continue to keep score and will and will continue to point out who was right and who was wrong and who was successful and who was unsuccessful. We've got a multiverse of, of media organisations that know the way you get eyeballs and clicks is by yeah. presenting things as adversarial, winners, losers. Who gets the medals and who doesn't? Who's brave and who's not? Who's who's a cheat and who's not? That kind—that's what drives people's attention in the short term. Yeah, and then there are those other behaviours that I'm sure parents practice with their children around encouragement, support, you know, rewarding hands and encouraging learning. Yeah, the uncertainty that's been caused around the world has both magnified both things. Yeah, it hasn't reconciled it. I don't see the adversarial nature of media and distraction as getting any smaller in this. No. If anything else, it's stronger. But at the same time, what's also stronger is this notion of learning, experimentation, leaning into not knowing. Yeah, I don't know that we're moving towards resolution. If anything else, I think I'm actually wondering if we're actually almost creating the next great disruption because these things are getting further and further apart.
1: Yeah, I, I wonder when I think about, say, Crazy Ideas College, our piece in that or where what we're trying to respond to in terms of what's emerging is that, as you say, the, the reality of the clickbait, polarised debates, that's not necessarily going away. But as that gets heightened, as we know, you know, as you've taught in the future space, you, you've also got the same thing going on in the pendulum, as you're mentioning, <laughs> You know, where more and more people are popping up and looking for something different. They're looking for something that's about a hopeful and constructive way of participating in the, where we are right now, you know, and thinking about the future. I also think that we're seeing, we hear this in lots of different ways, a real appetite not to get engaged in polarised debates mm. as well. You know, and as a simple example of that, We're paying a lot of attention to bringing business into our programs and we're getting a really good response from business uh, and they've got a lot of skills and also a lot of resources, clearly, that we want young people to be able to connect up to. And one of the interesting sort of sidebars that we've been hearing from businesses is this notion, we were talking to a property developer actually who's a key supporter and they're like, Oh, this is interesting because my year nine daughter thinks I'm the devil, right, because I'm a property developer. Yeah. And what they were really encouraged by, even though this wasn't the main reason they got involved, was this sense that that wasn't the framing that was being used in our programs, that the, the, we were seeing a great strength in collaborating across traditional boundaries. And that doesn't mean clearly that business and capitalism, you know, we're not going to have to, Point to the pathologies in all of that. But I think there's a real appetite to not get stuck in feeling like either she's we're the bad guys and they're the ones off trying to do good in the world. But how do we actually connect those things up? I think is a really important piece. And then that third element that you're talking about is well, how do we learn and act together without knowing what the end point is? So, but yeah, I feel like there's an appetite, an emerging appetite for a few of those things
0: another one that again I think I'm I'm sensitive to and I'm sure you are is this what fits under a whole lot of terminologies if I refer to it as, as the kind of woke phenomenon yeah driven predominantly by younger people yeah they are sensitive to what they see as entrenchment of disadvantage yeah younger people rejecting gender categories the teaching of disciplines like history, literature, art, etc. Yeah. And we're seeing a big adult pushback by the elites. They don't like being told how they should teach. I look at that at one level as an example of your pathways action where young people whether they are guided well or they've got some silly ideas, but they are actually demanding adults change for what they're saying, rather than being passive, they're actually demanding things of adults and and particularly of elite, powerful adults.
1: Absolutely. I mean, that's an an important dynamic to both. You know, one of the key things that I I guess if there was four capacities, if we try and simplify it, we go there are four capacities we're trying to teach. One is agency, (laughs) is that belief that they can shape the world and the confidence to demand where they feel as though that action is required, that they feel confident And have the skills to know how to demand that and lead it but we also balance that with collaboration and partnership and a really strong emphasis on understanding that if you want to get constructive action in the world you need to work across traditional boundaries you need to work into the boundaries that you feel as though you're opposed against to some degree Um, that that diversity is a real asset in actually working towards change and really getting significant change and and the other poles if you like that we work on then is both that vision that imagination being clear on what you want to achieve but it's the the pathways doing it's the you know it's not just talking about change it's like well you've got to you know if you want to see change you've got to get in you've got to do and you've got to work with others and when you start working with others it's not just about what you're demanding and what you believe you're going to have to know how to learn the great skill you're going to learn is how to work with others and what and paying attention to what they're telling you that you can't see that's actually going to help you get to a better place. So I, I think we know in our future, Peter, to your point, we're going to run into some issues around our belief that we want to bring lots of different people into the conversation here and as part of our community of, if you like, change makers. And young people who have a particular belief that, there's segments of our society that are actually changing the rules that they want to see change. So, but I think that's where the juice is too. You know, I, I don't know how we're going to navigate all of that, to be honest, as it starts to pop up. But I think we're building a philosophy that hopefully helps young people see that they can't see everything. And that actually, when they get into the doing, they're going to want to have good people on their side. It can help them both complement their skill set, but also help them see. The other side of the equation that they might be missing without the having the answer i think we're trying to build an approach in from the get-go that stops us getting stuck at that point that you described around it just becomes around where we're the good side fighting for change and they're just the you know they're just those trying to entrench what's already existing we want to move to a more sophisticated one of the things I i was fortunate enough chatting to jose yesterday and I mean, you'd be aware of his four futures of reality, which I think is a beautiful piece of work and really important at this point in time. And one of the things that we're going to do in Crazy Ideas College is start this, what we call, kick beyond the media, where we want to build resources that teachers can use to help young people grapple with the complexity of how, you know, like a diverse perspective And how do you navigate a world where some people are telling you we're in post-truth? Got all of these different kind of, as you say, you know, media giants talking in a particular way, spinning a particular narrative. Like, it's a really tricky context for young people to start to even get a handle on where truth lay and where reality lay. So, as part of our efforts to start to build capability in that space, you know, Jose is going to work with us to sort of transform that for futures of reality piece in a a five minute, you know, like the RSA's the graphic recording. So, how do we distill the essence of that into a simple? Communications piece that helps young people start to just grapple with those sorts of issues. So, I think, you know, we've got our mind as well as the doing piece, which we think there's a lot of lessons and getting them to work across those boundaries, but also start to build the understanding, give them the resources to maybe just unlock an understanding that actually it's not quite as simple as they might first imagine. And how do we help them start to understand the world around them? So, that's part of what we want to be building out as well.
0: I'd like to unpack with you is this notion of collaboration because, again, it's one of these terms that you know, people say sincerely they wish to collaborate. But if I get quite granular on collaboration, to me, in that are elements around problem solving, conflict resolution, and bargaining. Yeah. The quite pointy part of collaboration. Yes. Where you don't agree. We do not come to agreement. We don't have a common thing to agree on. So now we have to decide whether you know, we're going to go with one or the other or we're going to bargain yep. to a point where we each get something. And are those, are they capacities that younger people that in your experience readily grasp or in fact need, they need to have good models and good exemplars of how to do those quite difficult things?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a bit of both probably, Peter. I, I, I don't think it's about just... You know, going, oh, young people do this naturally. Like also I would say they need the good models. And if we give them the good models and we give them the experiences that allow them to do what you're talking about, bargaining. So we talk about collaboration and partnership development, because it needs to get to that harder edge that you're talking about, where they need that you know, if they there is the bargain, there's the value exchange. So if they're going to work with an aged care provider to have their experiment actually undertake it in that facility. They've got to know how that's going to work for the aged care provider. So we've got to give them both the skills, the capacities, the models, the frameworks, the tools, the methodologies, help them understand the mindset of all of that, being a collaborator, a bargainer, you know, but getting things done. But the other thing I think that's really important that we're still grappling with to a degree, Peter, is oftentimes when we bring people in to partner young people to bring their experiments to life, because they are working with, you know, mental uh, mental health service providers or aged care providers or it could be businesses or it could be people in marketing who have marketing expertise, is too often adults will come into that conversation with a view that they just have to almost acquiesce <laughs> to what the young people want. Ah, and, and what we're actually trying to help the adults understand is, no, 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 this is peer-to-peer. We need, to move it. we need to shift the power dynamic from it's just with young people or it's just with the businesses to this is peer-to-peer, right? And we've each got knowledge, passion. The young people have a whole about what they want to see, but you've got to bring your full game here. You've got to bring what you know about the context. You've got to bring your skills. You've got to bring your passion. You've got to bring your problem-solving capabilities. And we're going to have to do this together. And that means that at different points in time, it might be the business that's actually leading the game and so we're we're building a model that helps young people understand that too that even leadership of the idea may move over time you know that we have to do it in a spirit of goodwill and we've got to build the frameworks around that that make that transparent and evident but that if we actually want to serve the idea if we want to serve the change we want to see that's the approach we've got to be prepared to take and so we're really quite explicit with young people about that (laughs) that's the value of what you're going to learn you're not just going to have as I say, adults coming go, oh yeah, this is great, it's nice, isn't it? We'll help you do something. But that, you know, that experiment might happen, but it's not an experiment that's going to actually be able to take, to grab, to stick, to be able to be scaled. And that's what young people want to see. And so I think what we're finding is when we do that and we make that evident to everyone, we get a better result. And as you say, it's at the gritty edge of collaboration rather than just this nice notion of, Hey, isn't it wonderful to come and help young people?
0: Again, what I'm hearing there is again a deeper level of skills around persuasion and influence yeah yep. the more again still collaborating still on the edgy side of we have to one of us has to move both of us have to move we have yeah you know, we have to find a, a kind of synthetic position that we can both live with yeah and the notion that I'm not going to move just because I'm older than you and you're not gonna yeah you know, say so, so, yeah you can't expect me to to simply give you a freebie yeah you have to convince me to move. That's right. Yeah, you've got to encourage me to move, but at the same time, you yourself need to move. Absolutely.
1: So those, um, you know, those same skills I talked about for young people—that pathway, doers, agency, partnerships, and collaborators—and but also vision, imagination, ingenuity. Mm-hmm. We're doing more filtering to go. Hey, we want to find obviously the right organisation to land this in, but we need to get someone who's going to be able to operate in that way too. So we're getting a bit more skillful at finding the right people that can be pathway doers because we all know there's people in organisations who are gatekeepers. And so, you know, you also don't want to give young people an experience where they just run into that. So it's about finding the right people and the right organisations that can do that bargaining um, as peers rather than, yeah, as, as we talked about.
0: If we are peers and we start some, it's actually acceptable to simply say, let's stop this. <laughs> yeah. We actually aren't going to meet at a point. Yeah. It's okay to walk away from something that isn't going to work as opposed to, oh, we have to do something. The answer is no, we don't. We only need to do something if there's something worth doing.
1: I think that's a really, really interesting point. And in our social innovators is our main program where we're helping young people sort of invent services, products, programs that enrich the lives of their fellow citizens, is how we talk about but also, you know, help heal our relationship with the planet. But We've got those checkpoints because exactly what you're saying. So, you know, most of the young people will be participating. They've been brought in through their schools. They might be doing it over five or six weeks uh, or in a shorter time frame. They get to the end of that where they've pitched their idea, they've put it online, they've had a great learning experience. But at that point we say, that's enough. You know, if that's all you want to do, brilliant. What we then do is say, if you want, if your team wants to keep working on this, you can move in our, our ideas to Life Lab. And that's when we're, they've designed a smart start experiment as part of that first process, but where they really get into the, as you say, the bargaining around that experiment with a real-life partner who's going to help them bring that to life.
0: Hmm.
1: And so what we then do is have an experiment that runs for three, four months. And then at the end of that, we go, right, eh? Yeah, we've got to make a decision again. Do you want to keep going with this or have we done enough? Yeah. Exactly what you're saying, building in those checkpoints and making each of the, the either the progression something worth, you know, shooting for and celebrating and absolutely want to make sure we get as many young people through that as possible, but also making it entirely appropriate to kind of stop at certain points. Because young people have busy lives, so do partners. And you want to know if we're going to take that experiment to scale that you've actually got people who are going to do the hard work to make that happen and the resources. So I think those checkpoints are important.
0: Good. Have you got things left you want to cover?
1: The only thing I guess I would say is just almost an open invitation. You know, we expect to be out with Crazy Ideas College with 20 or more communities across Australia, getting young people to collaborate, partner with their community, to bring bold and inspired ideas to life. So, you know, we might have 4,000 young people, 500 ideas, 120 experiments happening next year. So, you know, we're looking to really scale up and we think we can start to do some interesting things off the back of that. But the, the one invitation I might offer, because you know I'm talking primarily to a futures community, is like I was talking about that thing with Jose where we want to start to build resources mm. that young people can connect to that talk about the sorts of things we'd be talking about in the futures community, which is that whether that's the future reality or the future of something else or it might be about agency or it might be about pathways doing where people have a really interesting take that they think, wouldn't it be wonderful to build something that young people can connect to, grok, play with, you know, really open to people in the Futures community maybe just reaching out and saying, look, we'd wonder, we'd, we'd love maybe just exploring, building a resource with us. So we want to really build up a great bank of stuff through our Kick Beyond Media space um, and make that freely available to, to schools as a way of maybe getting them, kickstarting their conversation with young people around what's going on and so they can see themselves as future builders.
0: Fantastic. I'll speak on behalf of the rest of the Future Pod team. We will certainly be uh, completely behind and supporting you in that process.
1: Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. And I might even hook you up for agency and pathway thinking or something. I know you've done a great speech on that in the past, Peter.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh... Thanks, Kieran. It's always fun to catch up. I do I do love the work you're doing up there with, with the Crazy Idea College and everything else. So thanks for taking some time out to have a chat to the FuturePod community.
1: Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for the opportunity, Peter.
0: This has been another production from FuturePod. FuturePod is a not-for-profit venture. We exist through the generosity of our supporters. If you would like to support FuturePod, go to the Patreon link on our website. Thank you for listening. Remember to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. This is Peter Hayward saying goodbye for now.